action. Welcome to Torn Stubs with me, photographer Robert Gershenson, and Joshua Winning, the greatest film critic you've never heard of. And we're going to the movies. We're concluding our series on non-superhero comic book movies with a trilogy of films adapted from books by legendary British writer Alan Moore. For this first part, we watched From Hell, directed by the Hughes brothers. The comic this is based on, written by Alan Moore and drawn by the amazing Eddie Campbell, is <laughs> it's one of my favourites. Joshua, have you read it? <laughs> if I pan the camera, why are you laughing? You can actually see it on my shelf. Um, I was, can I? It's like some weird thing where I just I will ne- I just never get around to, to reading it. I think I tried. I started it a few years ago um, because you obviously you rave about it all the time, and uh, I've always wanted to read it. But it's so dense and it's so dark, like it's pure black ink, isn't it? The whole way through, it is. It's black and white. And it's black ink sort of scratched, almost looking like it's been scratched into the paper. Like it's, I mean, it's drawn like a, a hazy memory. Yeah, I mean, it looks like it's crawled out of hell. It really is quite, it looks intense. And I think every time I start to read it, I really enjoy it. But then if I, I mean, it's a long book, it's what, 500 pages. If I put it down for whatever yeah. reason, I find it very difficult to like heft it back up again. How long have you had that copy and where did you get that copy from? I don't remember. No, I don't either, actually. I have no idea. Well, let me refresh your memory. I bought it for you for your birthday in 2008. <laughs> it's it's a long-serving, um, you know, member of my... It's on my. It's on the shelf to, to of read like, list. It's on the shelf of like my favourite books because I do love that you bought it for me, but I just haven't got around to reading it yet. Sorry. I don't think you've read any of the books I've bought you, and you always complain that I don't read. <laughs> People in glass houses. Yeah, I know. Should read books. Should we, should we carry on? <laughs> I I think it's it's a phenomenal piece of work, and the book from memory from. The, the the yeah the book sorry not not the film the book <laughs> um the first four chapters yes they're very very dense because they're setting up the world and it's obviously part history book part fiction but it's very much the fiction is very much based on actual facts or theories that are very close to the facts so the first four chapters can seem very dense but as soon as chapter 5 starts it's it's so fast paced it is a really fast-paced book. And what's great about the edition that was republished about 20 years ago, at the back of the book, there's about 45 pages of page-by-page dissection by Alan Moore. It's basically a like a director's audio commentary. Hmm, that's cool. And it's fascinating. Hmm. Had you seen the film before? I have. I've seen it a few times over the years. And it's never been like a super favorite of mine i think i like the idea of the film more than what it actually delivers um so every time i go back to watch it i i'm always slightly expecting something a bit uh more rounded maybe i don't know have you seen it before yeah i remember going to see it in the cinema back in 2001 i saw it oh wow saw it at the finchley warner brothers cinema (laughs) shout out Shout out to the late 90s, early 2000s cinema chain, <laughs> Warner Brothers. Before it became I used you. to love it in the one in Cambridge. And I think it's utter shite. 
Do you? I think it's a really bad film. Part of me is obviously oh. comparing it to a book that I think is phenomenal, but also yeah. part of me is just looking at it in its own thing as a film and just thinking, what are you? You you want to be seven, but it's coming across like an ITV1 Sunday night drama remake of The Muppets Christmas Carol. <laughs> Yeah, I actually, yeah, when you said seven, I was like, oh, yeah, okay, maybe that that does explain the kind of, it's very tonally weird, I think, the film. It's like, it's stylish, it's very visually stylish in places, but it's not saturated, saturated in a way that a lot of, um, like, murder mysteries and thrillers are. So, like, if you look at, like, Gone Girl, by like, anything by Fincher, basically, like, yeah. Fincher has such a saturated style, like, his films don't necessarily look like the real world. They always look mm. heightened and a bit glossy and very stylized. Um, and so with From or Hell, or even I if like... he just tints everything, yeah, the tint on it. greenish, like yeah, like Zodiac or um, Gone Girl, and then Mindhunter. Yeah, it all has a, a Fincher gloss on it, and I think that yeah now that you've said seven it, may, it does that does seem to be something that the hughes brothers were perhaps trying to do but they don't do it consistently like they have beautiful shots that i imagine are taken from the the graphic novel of like the sky the london skyline with those brooding clouds and they paint them blood red mm. um well the book's but, in black and white well yeah there is that but i mean i imagine they were trying to make a color version of the graphic novel why um, not just stick to black and white it would have made more sense mm. because then you get to play around with different types of black and white certain sections of the book aren't that kind of scratchy black and white style it's really soft sort of tonal watercolors and that's yeah. to show the difference between people who live in piccadilly and people who live in their own shit in Whitechapel. Oh, that's interesting. Like the the art actually reflects the class divide. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. The book sort of delves deep into certain themes that are just left out of the film or not touched on properly. So the idea that that there's a fourth dimension where all time runs concurrently. So at times in the book, you will see characters just suddenly appear in front of center point on Tottenham court road like the present day ish center point. present day present day yeah oh. so you see a character walk in in whitechapel in 1888 walking down an alleyway and then look into a window and see a man in the 80s watching the television oh wow so it, there's this idea that all time is running concurrently then there's this there's this uh this uh this conspiracy uh orchestrated by the masons which is touched on in the film but not in any in any way that is um anywhere close to how deep it runs in the book there's the idea mm. of the class system there's the idea of uh, society on the brink of change which is a um a a theme that runs through a lot of alan moore's work he seems to be obsessed with uh history and society moving and morphing Mm. Then there's a slight comparison or a slight coincidence um, in 1888 being the birth year of Adolf Hitler and what he <laughs> would go on to do in the 20th century. Um, the rise of Zionism, wow. the rise of anti-Semitism, 
scientific discoveries that would then ultimately lead to the atomic age 50 or so years later and it's all happening around the time of the ripper murders but what the film Mm. does is just get rid of all the interesting things that alan moore wants to talk about and just turn it into a slasher movie in an age when slasher movies were dead but i don't think that from hell is a slasher film either because it doesn't really um it's not serving up uh the violence as entertainment you know it's actually the thing that i really enjoyed about the movie from hell is that even though it is the story is all about you know horrific violence against women um it doesn't it's never exploitative of that it never sort of glorifies that violence it's actually quite respectful in a lot of ways like you don't get extended murder slash scenes you there's very little um sort of active like scenes of active violence against women like that you see the aftershocks you see the dead bodies you see the disgust at the bodies um you see you know flashes of horrific disfigurement but you don't really see it in great detail um you know the camera isn't isn't pushing in or in a way that a slasher movie does where it's you know a slasher movie really celebrates every gazer of blood every scream every haunted look you know that slash is really amp it up whereas from hell doesn't do that but then it doesn't like you said it doesn't necessarily do anything else either yeah. <laughs> um so do you think the film honors the five women murdered and remember they're five real life people. They mm. will still have families living now. That's the thing that I have always found very uh, troubling, not only about this film, but also just about the general kind of carrion culture of, you know, being being obsessed with Jack the Ripper. And my um, my cousin, she studied criminal psychology. And I remember her saying that she didn't give a flying fuck who Ted Bundy was. And she she hates the fact that people are so fascinated by him. She hates the fact that people are like, oh my God, this guy, we have to find out what's wrong with him. You know, well, it's so interesting how he killed those people. And she's like, no, it, it's a really fucked up individual who doesn't deserve this much attention, which I do kind of slightly agree with, especially with this film where it, it, it is dredging up Obviously, these people died a long time ago, but but still, it's horrible. And why are we still talking about it? And I, I suppose, I guess the reason we're still talking about it is because it is a mystery that isn't solved. And if you try to solve the mystery, it becomes infinitely less interesting. It's like how the Golden State Killer or the Golden State Strangler, who he was found and tried recently for crimes that he committed in the 70s. Um, I think it was the 70s. Suddenly, now that we know he's this really horrible old man, it's not interesting anymore. Whereas the mystery of like, oh, this guy was never found. He did all these horrific things and then he just stopped and no one knows why. Well, it becomes a mythology, doesn't it? Yeah, and this film really tries to tries to grasp hold of the mythology of Jack the Ripper, which I guess is because of, that's what the graphic novel is about, is, I assume, is building up the mythology of this world. What surprised me most about the book, when I remember when I first read it about 20 years ago, is that Jack the Ripper isn't a character. It's very much about how the myth became the myth. And there's a there's a brilliant um, appendix at the back, where they usually are, that talks about how the myth and the relationship we've had to Jack the Ripper has developed over the years. So it's always, for me, it's always a little bit troubling, like you said, that when something is based on Jack the Ripper, that... 
Jack the Ripper is a character, not a concept. When really mm. Jack the Ripper is a concept. It's this idea that, you know, five women were murdered, not even necessarily by the same person. But yeah. the theory is that it is the same person. But it's Jack the Ripper is an abstract con, uh, concept, not an individual person. Yeah. And I think the film, I don't know if the film do, does this necessarily or if this is just something that I have because um, I, I you know I've been on the Jack the Ripper tour in London and all that kind of stuff I'm not I'm not like an obsessive but I definitely know about Jack the Ripper but you really love them that he's just so, I just love it when he rips um, I think that <laughs> it's it's interesting how he has become representative of this rotten society you know when mm. I think the 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 like he says in the film like um we're in hell or something yeah. we're in hell he says whispers yeah. um and it is like well yeah it really does look like hell it's this horrible dirty grubby place where if you're poor you're really poor and you're struggling day to day and if you're rich you're queen victoria and buckingham palace having a grand old time sort of trying to well keep that's your victorian own secrets society yeah, and, and Queen Victoria was very much about this grand society we have created. It's, you know, the land of opportunity kind of thing. Well, that's America, but I mean, Queen Victoria basically said that. Um, and that's, yeah, you definitely get a sense of that in this film. And that's not surprising because it's made by Americans and Americans are obsessed with conspiracies. Um, you know, even present day, the, you know, the conspiracies about Trump's election and um but then going back to like watergate vietnam you know americans love a conspiracy theory and that's probably why that was the focus of this film if it was made by a british filmmaker do you think it would have been slightly different do you think the do you think the hughes brothers who had had made other films like menace to society which is very much about the 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 black lived experience in mm. America in the nineties. Do you think as outsiders, they don't really have respect for the hideousness of this story and what a stain it is on late 19th century society? Um, well, all I know is that they kind of described this as like another ghetto movie they say that they were making a ghetto film so that means that to me that says that they do understand what it's like to be um like these women just struggling hand to mouth every day and so i think that it's quite interesting to have an american perspective and actually like a black american perspective on white uh, british um society of like the late 1800s and there is kind of an argument for for actually making a story from an outside perspective. Um, I think that was, when I was at university and when I studied film, we discussed this as like something to do with globalization or like the globalization of cinema and how actually it can actually be a good thing if you're making a film about a place that you're not from because you could actually come at it with fresh eyes and fresh perspective and actually see things. It's like when, you you know, if you have a, a friend from another country and they come to stay with you and you take them on a tour around where you live or London or whatever, they'll always see things that you have failed to see because you've stopped looking at in that particular way. A hundred percent. I was in Copenhagen a couple of years ago and I became obsessed with 
they're street lamps. They don't have street lamps mm. like we do, like on a long pole and then curved at the top. They have these really large bulbs in mm. almost like big iron IKEA type lampshades suspended above the streets by wires connected to the buildings. Yes, yeah, that's the same. So I in became Star- obsessed with them, and I was photographing them everywhere. I went, and people must have looked at me like, "Why <laughs> is the boy pho- the boy? Why is that man photographing? Why is that old man taking lamps? pictures? <laughs> Why is that old man taking a picture of the sky?" Um, <laughs> Is it pointless attempting to do Jack the Ripper on film? Does it just become a a blob of cliché? Well, I was going to say, what do you actually think of the portrayal of Jack the Ripper in the film? I think if you have the cloak and the top hat and the knife, it's been done. It's been Mm. done. It's been done to death. Yeah. And I think that the whole whispering thing actually was just a bit shit. Like, it's obviously a way of hiding the identity of who it is. Um, it was yeah the, really the identity work. reveal was was even just i mean i knew who it was because i read the book but even mm. as as a as a, a device in a film it was so glaringly obvious what they were doing it was a an, a secret that they didn't work very hard to keep hidden mm. the great thing about the book is it doesn't have that mystery right mm. it doesn't hide the fact that it's gull they lay their cards out from the get-go doesn't have this big reveal like oh he could have gone away with it if it wasn't mm. for that pesky abilene <laughs> the tragedy of the story in the book is that he did get away with it and there was nothing anybody could do about it mm. so the book isn't a murder mystery it's a lot more about the society and and yeah it's a you know, big a big book of themes but mm. with a great narrative throughout it's a brilliant yeah. piece of writing. It's a brilliant piece of art. And in fact, recently, in the past year, Eddie Campbell has gone back into it and colorized the whole thing. Oh, wow. And I don't, I personally, I don't know why. I don't think it adds anything. I think the mm. black and white works perfectly with this kind of story. I don't really mm. understand why people go in and colorize comic books or even films like i don't Mm. i just don't see the point it's interesting when they released decolored stuff like parasite and logan if you you know releasing the black and white versions if there's a reason for it like i know bong joon ho says that parasite he actually foresaw it in in black and white because um all the different tones that you can play around with speak volumes to the the levels of society that the different characters come from and his Mm. ideas on the rich and the poor the thing that really confused me is when suddenly ian holmes has black eyes and it's like he's he's possessed or something or and then suddenly he's you get like this weird flash of insight into his mental state where he's in his head he's this grand amazing doctor who's who's just dissected this body on a table in front of his adoring colleagues it's really bizarre well, that that bit that bit i'm actually okay with because it talks about um ian holmes character gull thinking that what he's done you know should be greeted with great applause that he's mm. done this great service for queen victoria and for queen and country but it also talks about the idea that all time is happening at the same time so when we start hearing the conversation while he's he you know he stood in that little room and he's staring with his black eyes at the woman he's just murdered and then we hear someone 
um, talk about the human heart and then he picks up the conversation. It's a conversation from before and he's back where he started. It's mm. all happening at the same time. I just wish they played with that more in the film. I wish they explored that theme because it's a it's such a brilliant idea. Yeah, it's just it just pairs it right back. And actually, it's it's very um, it's very basic for a film that's two hours long. It's mm. it's very long and very drawn out, and it kind of it doesn't it doesn't gain momentum in a particularly interesting way. I don't think so. Even though I don't hate the film, I think it's almost like an honourable misfire. Um, <laughs> well done, because it's, it's shit. Yeah, it's like well, saying? you had a go, you had a go, but um, it's not it's not <laughs> you great, had is a it? Go. Whose story is this? Mm. Who's, That's one of my Who's big meant problems. to be the 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 hero, or who's meant to be the one that we are we are sympathising with? Well, I would have loved it if it had just been the women. You know, if it had just if it had just focused on the this that core group of five friends who um, are you know picked off in horrific manners. I think it would have been a lot. Uh, you know, obviously a shorter film, um, but it would have been a much more daring and actually more like a, a more truer honouring of what they went through kind of thing. You know, we talked about do the film, does the film respect the women or does it treat them with respect? And the scenes where they're portrayed as real people, yes, I think the film does does treat them with respect. And, and um, you know, the director's talked about how they allow the actresses to to create the characters themselves, basically. You know, they said, oh, they, they, the women have the same names, but in order to breathe real life into them, we felt like we had to take great actresses and have them create the characters, which is great. And I think that's that's a really great approach to it. And Heather Graham's fine. You know, her accent is a bit odd, but um, she's got an amazing face. <laughs> All the face. accents are terrible. Shout out to you, Governor. All right, Governor. Hey, what do you want with a piece of pie? <laughs> Awful. They probably did talk like that, though. They were cockneys. Did they um, talk like that? <laughs> it's such an American view on Victorian Britain. Yeah. It, well, yeah, I guess so. But yeah, but then the women, their story gets derailed by the introduction of Johnny Depp, who comes into it, what, 20 minutes in suddenly? And you're like, oh, yeah, I forgot he was in it. This, I feel, was the beginning of a turning point for Johnny Depp. He had such an incredible and very credible career in the in the 80s and the 90s, especially the 90s. Mm. He sort of established himself as a brilliant, brilliant character actor in things like Crybaby and Edward Scissorhands. I couldn't believe I was doing my research. Edward Scissorhands was only his fifth film. Yes, which but is then unbelievable. He'd, done, he'd done a bunch of TV uh, before True. as well, he'd done Catch Twenty, yeah, yeah. Catch Twenty Two, Jump Twenty Two, Jump Street, Twenty One, Jump <laughs> very, Street, <laughs> very different things. Um, but he, you know, he'd done some really. He he'd been an indie darling, you know, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, Sleepy Hollow, and Blow, and then suddenly, sort of back to back to back, he did From Hell, Once Upon a Time in Mexico, and then Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, Curse of the Black Pearl. It's at yeah. that point that he became a very different actor very different performances chose the 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 projects that you might not have necessarily associated with johnny depp so this is one of those ones that is on that cusp Mm. 
It's just how do yeah. you feel about him in this film? He's he's fine in it. He is two years after Sleepy Hollow, and I think that's probably one of the reasons I had a, a real problem with From Hell is because Sleepy Hollow and From Hell on the surface are quite similar. You know, they're they're like about a mythical killer dispatching people in really horrific gory ways and a someone you know a bit of a a hapless detective comes in to try to figure out what's going on and how to stop it and if i had to choose between watching sleepy hollow and from hell i would always choose sleepy hollow so (laughs) this of this has always felt like a really weird choice for him because it's such a pale imitation in some ways but apparently he was obsessed with Jack the Ripper and he has 70 books about him. So that I guess explains books. why. <laughs> I know. I know. Slightly uh, troubling. What the fuck were his visions? Why was know. he having those visions? Abilene in real life was probably closer in look and age to Robbie Coltrane. Ah. He was an older portly fellow and he did not have visions. He wasn't, a, <laughs> wasn't an opium addict or whatever thing he was making with a sugar cube. What was yeah. he doing? It looked very complicated. It's too, far too complicated for someone high on drugs to make. <laughs> for, or someone desperate for some drugs. <laughs> it's a very complicated process. I think it's an interesting film in terms of who Johnny Depp is as a person because his his own battles with substance abuse are very well documented and he's talked about them at length. Mm. Um, you know, he's talked about how he first took his mother's nerve pills when he was age 11 and by age 14 he said that he tried every kind of drugs that were out there um so it's interesting t- to see him taking that on so um non subtly and just kind of just playing someone who's addicted to drugs and he does it very well but it's quite a negative portrayal then you could say that the visions are because he is high as a kite most of the time mm. yeah and it's odd that the police just accept like numerous police officers just accept carte blanche that he's actually having these visions and they mean something and that's not part of the book Uh, i wondered about that because i i felt like it just slightly undermined everything especially the real life horror because the hughes brothers really did try to um replicate the you know the settings and the in what happened to the women you know they really yeah in prague (laughs) (laughs) but then having a psychic really undermines the the factual adherence that we're trying to do i think and i think this is going to be a a common thread throughout these alan moore episodes when you take an alan moore book it's really difficult to condense it down into a two-hour movie because there's so much in there he creates such a rich vibrant fully realized world do you think from hell should get a amazon or a netflix tv series remake um well from what you've said about the graphic novel i imagine it will make a really really interesting series tv series i don't think it would work as a film it just sounds like there is just way too much going on there and even when Zack snyder sort of i don't i have i have read watchmen and i think Zack snyder did a really good job of condensing it into the film i know that it's slightly split between people who love it and people who hate it but i felt like he condensed it quite effectively but i'm not it sounds like from hell that really would not condense that well (laughs) no so i would i mean personally if i was making it i would make it in the style of images and cinema of the time Mm. to really really embed the the period setting and then when you jump forward 
just for flashes to modern day UK to modern day times, then you use the the technology and the visual styles of that period. Oh yeah, that could be interesting. It's weird though because you say eighteen eighty eight, and actually that isn't that long ago. It's only like two generations, three generations ago, and yet it it's feels a hundred like... years before we were born. So it really isn't that long ago in terms of the history of the world. So it, yeah. it's just it's crazy when you yeah when you think about. So it? someone born in eighteen eighty eight, their children mm. could have been a headmaster, just retiring yeah. at our schools. Yeah. It's crazy, isn't it? See, this is what yeah. Adam Moore was tapping into with his graphic novel, is that kind of head fuck thing of time. Ah. What it is, it's just, it's so, it's so recent. Mm. And it's just on the cusp of all, you know, the, 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 um, the Industrial Revolution, technology going boom. If you think back, I, I went to a, um, I went to a 100th birthday party. What? About seven or yeah about se- not mine about seven or eight years ago <laughs> and Whoa. the the relative sat there and she and i was filming the speech on an ipad and someone else was filming on an iphone and she was saying in her speech that she has absolutely loved watching technology develop over the years even when they had a rotary phone and then the computer hmm. and then the iphone and cds and all this because when you she just think born, you're in the future well, 100%. But when she was born, even just having a TV in the house wasn't a thing. So she would have been born in like the early 1900s. Yeah, exactly. Wow. So radio was not even really a thing. This is, I feel, but do you know what? I feel the same way about the 80s. Like <laughs> the 80s is now as far away as when you were in the 80s that the 50s were. Yes. It's yeah. scary. And like we're as far away from the 80s now as we are from like 2050. Yes. Which is absolutely terrifying. But look at the difference between the 50s and the 80s. It's what, like two different worlds. <laughs> but just just look at the Yeah. look at the difference. So the difference between 1888 and 1988 is incredibly different. But the difference between 1788 and 1888 probably by comparison doesn't seem all Mm. that different but something happened in the 20th century where not i mean time doesn't move any faster than it needs to but society as a whole developed so much Mm. it's like this this burst in development almost like going through another puberty but it's all but i feel like culture has we've reached a slight plateau in some ways because in what it's definitely in terms of like popular culture because like my nephews will will watch my nephews are like 10 and 10 and below nine and below and they will watch films from the 80s and the 90s whereas when i was their age i wasn't watching films from the 50s no you're right so it's almost like there's a weird time has slowed down a little bit in terms of popular culture at least well let's hope time does slow down so we both delay turning 40 (laughs) (laughs) yes please that was from hell directed by the hughes brothers Joshua, give us a clue what's coming up next. Oh, we're um, we're about to join a, a club of some description. 
a club. Oh, yeah. if you like a lot of chocolate <laughs> on your biscuit, join, join our, our club. club. Yeah. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Acast so you don't miss that episode. And we are on Twitter at TornStubsPod. Come and tell Rob what you think about um, what we watched from hell. From hell. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> let us know what you think of it. We are off to do some dastardly deeds in Whitechapel. Until next time, I remain Robert Gershenson. I'm Josh, you're winning. Cut. <laughs>